decoded. Welcome to Founder Tech Decoded. I'm delighted on this episode to have Martin Bryan, who's recently launched Precede Now as a new forum to illustrate, I guess, expose, articulate quality deal flow in the pre-seed space. Starting out as a newsletter, I'm sure Martin has lots of plans that we can uh, touch on. Um, I think this recognizes that in the pre-seed space, one of the biggest problems that we now have is a signal to noise problem in investor funnels. How, when there are so many startups pitching for so much capital, do you rise above the parapet and kind of signal to quality investors that you are a quality opportunity. And I think what Martin is doing with Precede now absolutely addresses this. And in that way is absolutely part of the overall founder tech conversation, which is all about increased transparency, um, agility, awareness, and elevating exceptional founders so that they get the attention that they deserve. So Martin, it's a pleasure to have you on the podcast. And um, why don't you sort of talk about, um, you know, like as, as as we try to start with, like, you know, the source code and the kind of bugs, the, the stuff that you saw in the market um, as to why you would set up a newsletter around pre-seed opportunities in 2022? Sure. Yeah. Hello. Well, um, I think the first thing is before we get to any of the kind of market opportunity and the market need, I think the the basic fact is. I love meeting and writing about early stage startups. And I have done throughout my kind of tech journalism career. Uh, it's always been like the early stage startups. Um, uh, what are they doing? Why is it interesting? Why is it new? Uh, that I've always found really exciting. So I've always wanted to uh, launch a publication like this. This is a newsletter which goes out twice a week. Uh, each issue uh, profiles a different startup and um, from around the UK, uh, deep tech and B2B as a kind of broad focus. And uh, it occurred to me last year that there is actually a need for this, because uh, if you look at the tech press right now, they don't really cover early stage beyond uh, below seed generally. And there's a good reason for that. They already have far too many deals to write about. So if you're going to write about deals, and you're going to be talking about deals as a newsworthy event, the bigger the deal generally is going to be more newsworthy. And when you've got maybe 50 deals in your inbox in a day, let's say, as an example, then you're going to pick the most you know, significant deals that you can see in there. And generally, um, a few hundred thousand or whatever um, uh, isn't necessarily going to move the needle on that front, especially when you can't tell uh, if the company is going to achieve, achieve much because uh, you're kind of, you know, they haven't got much of a track record yet. Uh, so the, from, from a media point of view, there was that. But also from an investor point of view, uh, there isn't actually enough action in the pre-seed market when it comes to um, investment in the UK. Um, a lot of uh, startups and investors I've spoken to um, have said that it can take far too long to raise a pre-seed deal, um, a pre-seed round. So you can maybe get one or two investors on board, but to really kind of fill out that round and uh, raise the amount you're wanting to raise, uh, it can take quite a while often because um, a lot of the time the kind of investors who are looking to make pre-seed size investments either 
want kind of much later stage assurances of, uh, from these startups. They want the idea that um, they've got a solid business and um, the, there's a good sense of they're, they're going to make a return on their investment. Um, or they just don't understand the technology um, or they understand a certain type of technology and they don't really want to look beyond that particular niche that they're interested in. Um, and that can leave a massive gap in the market. So what this started off as is basically a way of highlighting interesting companies. And sometimes it's a company, for example, I was speaking to a company today, I'm going to interview them next week and hopefully write about them in, uh, in the next couple of weeks in, in the newsletter. Um, they're at a very early stage. They're raising their very first equity round, uh, doing something really interesting um, uh, and uh, very you know, deep tech. And uh, they, they are at a stage where they're still figuring out their business. They've got the core technology developed and it's turning that into a business. So that's kind of the earliest stage I'll deal with right up to they've already raised a pre-seed round. They're going into seed. Um, and again, this is uh, an area that doesn't necessarily get coverage a lot of the time. So uh, it's that kind of window um, highlighting companies, not just for investors, although it has had a lot of investor interest, which is good. Uh, I hear about companies that have got decent investor um, uh, in interest from their coverage, uh, which is great to see, uh, but also just raising awareness more broadly broadly uh, to people involved in uh, tech and interested in tech, uh, just the, uh, the the richness of what's going on across the UK uh, at, at the early stage. Let me let me suggest a, um, not a nuance or a challenge, but an inflection to that as to why now. So the investors that I've talked to as sort of prep for this podcast were, it surprised me in that they all admitted this signal to noise problem in their funnels. Mm. And the reason that that is sort of converging now is because previously, as, as you and I have been this, around this space a long time, you know, let's say there was a typical funnel of a thousand pitch decks coming in, they would be able to discern and kind of um, differentiate at least 50% of those very quickly, often obviously from where they came from, but by, by how they looked, right? And, and what the MVP looked like, product was a real differentiator. But when you have sort of, you know, Canva enabling you to spit out a really good deck in a couple of hours, you know, and, and you can do no code, low code uh, MVPs that are better than, you know, with product based ones from a few years ago, you have a real problem in your funnel, that signal to noise problem. Additionally, you've got less and less uh, obvious B2B SaaS marketplace wins in that funnel as well, because most things have been done to, yeah. you know, to some degree quite well, you know, they're, they're in a very sort of glib level, there's there's less Ubers, there's less Netflix, there's less deliveries because those problems have been mined, you know, unless you're into really, really deep tech in a vertical. So, however, you've then got a paradox uh, around that in that, therefore, you're going to want to catch exceptional deal flow much earlier and be able to kind of uh, find any way that you can to cure your signal to noise problem. Um, and I would suggest that that's perhaps baked into why now and why precede now uh, time is, is is super relevant. And maybe it might not have been a year to two years ago because investors would have said, we, we don't need this. We've got, you know, our final works. What do you think of the, uh, There's quite a lot there. What do, what do, you, what do you think of that? Yeah, I mean, it, it certainly has never been easier to launch a startup um, and uh, get get going. Um, and yeah, um, certainly having that additional filter, uh, because I think uh, a lot of investors, if they're kind of seasoned uh, early stage investors, they'll have their deal flow, they'll have their way of hearing about companies. Um, but uh, this is a good way of kind of reaching beyond that. Um, so that's one part of it. And then beyond that, it's also, yeah, having 
somebody else who has talked to the company, check them out. Um, uh, I am always very clear that uh, if uh, if investors read a, an article and they're interested in getting in touch with the company, um, this, this isn't their due diligence. Of course. Um, but it, it is another eye on the company. Um, another experienced eye on the company so i think that uh yeah i think i think you're right it's a way of kind of uh uh you can only do so much with um a, a newsletter that um has a quite a you know it, it, they're a thousand words plus articles that um that delve into the, the company so it's uh you know it, it's a, it's a different take than you'd get in a pitch deck it's a more independent take an independent eye on the company so uh uh, there seems to be value in that, certainly uh, from investors who I've spoken to um, who've uh, found uh, the newsletter very useful. So, uh, yeah, I think you're right about uh, about that, yeah. And, and, and when you're talking to founders, when you first are introduced or you approach a founder, as you know, we, we're very big, probably on this idea of founder market fit, which we by no means say we invented at all. It's just like a way of communicating, you know, is this the right founder solving the right problem at the right time? Do you have that conversation? Is that one of the kind of filters that you use before you publicly promote someone on, or, and elevate someone on the, on the newsletter? And if, if so, how do you gauge that? I'd be very interested to understand if, if that's part of your criteria and, and how and how you bring that into your evaluation. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, uh, one of the things I'm very careful about is uh, is is the founder and um, their their credibility and have they actually you know are, are they are they a good fit for what they're doing um, are they uh, do they have um, experience do they have knowledge of um, of the domain they're going into um, a lot of the time a lot of the companies I'm working with might have for example. Uh, started at university and uh, you know, done, a, done a PhD in a particular subject and they're moving beyond that to productize their research. Uh, so in those cases, yes, absolutely. Um, in the end, the founder is, is key. Absolutely. So yes, it's one of the primary things I'll, I'll look at when I'm looking at a startup. Um, you know, good idea, um, founder that isn't particularly credible and has no um re i have no reason to believe they can actually execute on it um would obviously be um, quite a weak proposition so uh, for me i'm looking for that well-rounded uh, you know have they got uh, is it a great founder is it a, an interesting and also uh, unique in some respect uh product or offering that is uh, meeting a uh, an unmet market need uh, is there a particularly big market here for it um and will it just be a really good story that um that will be interesting to read and uh, will uh, enrich the uh the, the reader it's not just about here's a startup you might want to invest mm. in them or you might want to reach out and help them in some way it's more about it's it is certainly that but then beyond that it's uh, exposing people to i don't know um neuromorphic computing is, is one field i wrote about in one of the first uh, uh first issues um and uh, i would hazard a guess that there are quite a few people who even in, in tech investment who might not have come across that before and so uh, just having their uh, world opened to that uh, even if they're not interested in that particular startup i think uh, there's, there's value there what is what's super interesting again is and another lens on this is that actually um, the problems that you're talking about are kind of like highly local excuse me highly localized where the founder has an in uh, kind of an un, un, uh, unfair advantage because they are embedded in that problem in an unusual way and they have the gravitas and they have the networks to execute on that problem even if it's just simply finding a pathway through it 
uh, that is complex yeah. and hard. That to me is more and more the role of the, what you want to be looking for in a founder in that early stage, where where they have that ability, that discernible ability. And I think bringing the, the two strands of thoughts together, that's not what's being communicated in the pitch deck now or ever. It was very, very hard to see um, whether that founder had that ability and it kind of already was already embedded in the problem and in the, the peer networks around that uh, problem and, and in the community around that problem. And they kind of, kind of had that unfair uh, insight. To me, that's becoming more and more and more valuable as a metric. Um, and I think what you're, you've just said there, you know, it absolutely feeds into that. And, may, and maybe that's something, you know, like elevating that founder as to, you know, why, why you engage with them could be something you know, that, that could be brought even more to the fore because I think early stage investors, pre-seed investors are starting to understand that the founder themselves and, 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 and how that founder arrives at that investment, I don't know, it has to be what, 60, 70, 80% of the equation in the pre-seed space. You haven't got much more to go on. Um, I, I don't know what, that, that, that's my instinct that those founders are becoming more and more valuable. And and they, and like I said, they might not be solving a, a big B2B Netflix style marketplace space, but they may be inside an incredibly interesting niche that actually they can unlock the value of. I'm not going to catch the name of what you said about the computing, but you know what I mean? That's that's as a founder who can show you a world, right? They can show you a way into a world that's super interesting. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And and early stage investing has always been a lot about the team and the founders because it's always been, you know, th th there's not necessarily a lot in terms of technology or product built uh, to, uh, to uh, take a punt on. So a lot of the time it is... Uh, you know, are, is the team any good? But that specialized knowledge, uh, you know, a lot of the time, if you look at some of the uh, the biggest tech companies out there, they've been built by generalists who um, uh, who identified a, a market need and went down and learned everything about it and went down that route. And there's still there's still uh, a path for those people, and uh, you know, it, those I'm sure people like that can still build companies. But there's so much value in uh, taking all that um, amazing domain knowledge and expertise yeah. and um, uh, that unique mindset you get from someone who really understands the field and uh, can identify a way through a problem, um, coupled with how easy it is to get um, the basics of a startup off the ground these days, um, means those people, yes, have a, a, a better opportunity and there's a you know, real investor opportunity there to back them. Yeah, I do think this is part of this this founder tech conversation. Is this is sort of how do we elevate those extraordinary individuals? You know, how do we how do we make sure that if there is this signal to noise problem, how do we get exceptional founders who are embedded in these very high highly complex localized problems that if you can unlock are very very valuable and might be the beginnings of a new sector or beginnings of a new vertical? How do you get them to the fore? And I really really see what you're doing is like at the, at the forefront of that as, as an attempt, as you said, provide another lens, another filter. Um, what do you think? As a question, uh, one of the things that comes up again and again is if if you would if if, if you and I and, and everybody else we've talked to were actually given a clean sheet of paper and were to kind of devise the 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 founder investor landscape again, what what would be the things that you would change and what would be the things that you would like to build into it? You know, as just sort of top of your head, like what 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 would be the fundamental things? If we get rid of those things, it would be a lot better. And kind of what would be the innovations? Uh, as well as what you're doing that you'd look like to see see in there or, or behaviors or anything like that yeah i mean uh 
certainly i i do think that um you know i'm sure i'm not the first person to say this at all but uh, but yeah the, the the pitch deck is a is an antiquated thing isn't it um and uh, it, it's still a useful informational tool but the richness you get from talking to a company and i i, I think part of it is is so far above that if you ask the right questions and yes a pitch deck can be a good filter to decide who to speak to but communication isn't necessarily and communication of uh, what the company is doing isn't necessarily a, a first kind of level first order strength of a lot of founders um a lot of work i've been doing over the last few years has been helping early stage founders with the way they communicate what they do and a lot of the time they're building really interesting products uh, that have potential but they just can't communicate it because they're so deep embedded in their knowledge that um, and uh, and uh, they're so deep in their world that when they come to communicate it, it comes out as uh, kind of jargon that <laughs> anyone who understands their world would understand. Um, and so they they try to look for investors who understand that world, and there might not be that many. And so uh, being able to communicate for a, a more general audience is really really important. And uh, yeah, pitch decks aren't necessarily the best way of doing that. So I think that there's a lot to be done around that. Uh, but uh, but yeah, uh, that's one thing that uh, what I'm doing um, helps with in a slightly different way. Rather than doing consultancy for individual startups, I'm finding interesting companies and then telling their story in hopefully an accessible way for a an audience that isn't necessarily deep in the world that they are. Have you, as part of that process, stumbled across sort of, you know, agile investment models that marry with, with you know, like, so let's say a founder, a startup that you elevate in the le newsletter um, wants to get investment. Have you looked at different ways now that people are kind of approaching pre-seed investment? So the, the prevalence of advanced subscription agreements, for example, being much shorter and much quicker. Um, solo capitalists, you know, people with going to your domain expertise, so people with real deep domain expertise mm. who have capital that they can back at quite a serious level um have you come across that space at all um in, in your travels and kind of like marrying the two uh, i mean there's clearly a lot of that going on uh, the way i've approached this so far it's not been to uh particularly um make any preference for the kind of investor or the kind of approach to investment they might have it's more it, it, any interested investor uh, can read Precede now and find interesting companies. Um, so uh, there might there might be more from that side that can be done in the future. Uh, really, I'm keeping this very open in terms right. of the future and how to develop it based on the needs and the feedback I get, uh, the needs of the audience, etc. So uh, so we'll see. But have you, as a without saying that you're going to kind of align yourself, have you come across anything we've thought? Wow, that's super interesting. That's a complete reimagination of how you might um, in engage in the space. So I, I, I read your um, letter uh, earlier about Payful. Um, mm. And I thought that was an example. It's not quite related to what we're talking about, but of completely rethinking the problem of late invoices, right? Like really uh, imaginatively going, we can transform the way this works. And I thought that was incredibly clever. 
Um, is there anything else that you've seen around pre-seed space that's been incredibly clever? We thought, oh, that's really innovative, like in the way that they're thinking about it. I mean, or, or if not, like what would you, you know? What again? What would you like to see? Is there is there the equivalent of that model in the pre-seed space? Because just just to nuance that further, why that's so um, great is again, it's that issue of transparency, isn't it? And it's elevating people who behave better are heroed and and valued mm -hmm. more in the community. Is there any of that that you've seen that's that's, that's come across your radar? In terms in terms of investment. Um, yeah, in terms approaches. of investors yeah. behaving. So landscape is a good example of this, right? Where they're going. We're going to create radical transparency between how founders review investors and we're going to like open source that so everybody can access that and improve the ecosystem right that they're an example of that i wondered if any if there has been any i haven't seen many of them i think the advanced the advanced subscription agreement is definitely one of those tools where you once you hear about it you go that's super clever that really facilitates pre-seed investment in a much 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 quicker way much more agile way that's great because it defers all the problems around valuation you know up to six months down the line is there anything else or anybody else that you that you've seen if, if there's not there's no problem no 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 i mean I, I, nothing nothing that particularly springs to mind uh, along those lines um uh, certainly uh i think people are thinking a bit more uh uh in uh, in a less conventional way, you mentioned to kind of this kind of solo capitalist model. Um, uh, there's a lot more of that going on now, um, and so uh, and you look at something like like landscape, like you mentioned. Um, the, it feels like the conventional rules around this is how tech investment works are slowly being broken down, and people are trying new things and trying new approaches partly because uh, i think this is partly a, a reaction to just the amount of money that's been swilling around in vc over over the last few years yeah now that's changing um and uh, you know we're seeing uh, a bit of a, an economic slowdown and uh, that's probably going to affect uh, investments even at the earliest stages uh, we'll see how that uh, that affects that but i don't think we're going to go back to a world where it's you know uh, the one way of doing VC and that's it um, anymore. So uh, you know that can only be a good thing. Uh, more innovation in uh, in early stage investment, please. If, if I can mention it, obviously you did a whole podcast on VC, right? Like, yes. Right so so you got a real sort of snapshot into that. Did any of that inform you? And do you, again, I, I agree that landscape. Obviously, the part of founder tech conversations that the landscape is gradually changing. Um, you know, it's iterating and it's kind of recalibrating itself for different reasons. Have is there has there been a shift since? So when you when you were doing the v, the VC podcast, um, under, it was understanding VC. Was that what it was? Uh, making sense of VC. Making sense of VC. My apologies. Um, would you think you would have launched Pre-Seed now when you did that? Has there been enough change in the market for for for, for the rationale behind that to to be ready now as opposed to then, or do you think it's still roughly the same? Um, I, th I think that uh, yeah. It it's definitely changed and because uh, I come from a media background I think of it from a kind of media supply and demand approach and just from that approach alone um, there was a lot more coverage just even a few years ago of early stage startups in established tech press because that you didn't have the mega mega enormous eye-popping series C, series D necessarily every single day that you needed to cover. And so there was more opportunity to cover those early stage companies and there were fewer companies around. That's the other thing, the, you know, the supply of companies uh, was smaller. So um, so just from that uh, supply and demand uh, point of view, there was less need for it. And now I think we've just reached a point where there's the alignment between 
you know, there's a space in the media for it and more of a uh, an interest in this kind of approach from investors and from startups. And it's it's all kind of come, come together quite well. In a way, it's a, it's a, it's a bit of an odd beast in terms of uh, a media product because I don't think necessarily you'd see an established publisher producing something like this. Um, I'm very much kind of uh, you know this is this is a thing I'm doing, and I want to build a bit of a community around it and uh, mention people who are doing different things and all that kind of thing, and, uh, and make sure that. Uh, People who are um, paying members of the uh, of Precede now are part of the community, and so yeah, the, it, it's it's something that I think has been done in ways uh, in the past, maybe in kind of private email lists and things. But um, this is making it a bit more open. Um, when I launched Te TechCrunch, did a piece about it, but they also did a piece about um, deal flow newsletters, and there was another one in Spain which is doing something similar. Um, and uh, not a lot else, to be honest. Uh, so um, maybe there's room for that in, in other markets as well, because I don't think you could necessarily do this pan-European, for example. Is it, uh, <laughs> uh, the the amount of uh, uh, the amount of content you'd need to pump out and the staff you'd need uh, to cover uh, the whole of Europe well, for example, um, would be uh, would be quite overwhelming. So I think a UK focus is quite good. Back, you know, in the kind of let's say 2008 um, downturn, and uh, it, there were there were a lot of um, uh, VCs who were blogging, offering advice to startups, etc. And uh, someone made the point um, on Twitter, uh, I saw this morning, saying it feels more, it, it, all the VC firms are doing it again this time, but it feels more like content marketing this time. Um, and that kind of authenticity of it seems to have uh, been lost a bit because everyone, every VC knows they've got to do content. Um, and so the uh, the differentiation there is maybe uh, a bit lost so uh, so so yeah th th there's maybe a bit of a problem there that uh, you just you just need to freshen up the approach every few yeah. years don't you um to, to keep it feeling authentic and uh, not just feeling authentic being authentic <laughs> that's, that's more important yeah no, it's a super interesting point. When everything becomes content, everything becomes content. You know, it's like, a, and 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 actually having that quality control, it goes. It goes. It seems like a theme of the conversation. If you can provide a quality filter, those filters are so valuable, or becoming more valuable, let's say, because of the signal to noise problem. In a way that wasn't necessarily the case 10, 10 years ago, because it was just a lot more transparency. Maybe because. Because in those first sort of, you know, the first generation, second generation of VC, you know, those those it was very, very driven by large characters, large deals. Mm -hmm. You know, these B2B um, SaaS e-commerce marketplaces were there for grabs. And I think what we're maybe saying is there's actually a, a different degree of subtlety that's needed here. And when you have more subtlety, your filters need to get also equally more subtle um, and have more quality um, control and, and highlight things in a different way. And I think that's probably another real real timing thing for you um, as to why now, why precede now. Now, um, Is there any, just as, as we kind of come to the end of the conversation, which has been super interesting, um, we'll come to the APIs in a second. Is there anything that um, you would like to do as kind of a shout out for founders listening to this who would like to be featured or investors, um, any, anything like that that you'd like to share? Uh, yeah, so I uh, yeah I, I'm very interested to hear from founders um, who are building B two B or deep tech businesses. Uh, 
uh, solving a really interesting problem uh, from anywhere across the UK uh, at all. Um, a lot of obviously a lot of companies come out of the southeast, but uh, really I, I've been surprised actually by the quality of startup. I'm based in Manchester and uh, I've been following the startup scene in Manchester for years, but uh, kind of maybe taken my eye off it a little bit in the last couple of years with the pandemic and everything but the the quality of startups just locally is, is fantastic but i want to hear from companies all across the uk um uh, who are doing interesting things uh, just drop me a line martin at preseednow.com the sweet spot is if you're raising your first uh equity round so a kind of pre-seed round uh, but i will look at companies that are a little bit later than that uh, who haven't yet raised seed uh, and so d just that kind of field is, is where I'm looking at so uh, please get in touch uh, wherever you are in the UK uh, I'd love to hear from you. And are there any kind of no-nos like please don't get in touch if you're you know like if is there there must be some kind of like you obviously outside the UK is a no-no are there any others just to kind of provide that filter? Uh, yeah, so uh, I'd say like the kind of e-commerce marketplaces and things um, are, yeah, it, 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 you're differentiating on what you're selling and uh, the, the exact market you're serving. Um, generally, um, I'm more interested in uh, uh, things that are, uh, you know, a, a bit more kind of uh, addressing a new problem uh, yeah. rather than addressing an existing, um, taking an existing model and applying it to a, a new market. And can you give us one example of that very quickly of something like if there's been in the letter uh, or coming up that you just think really highlights that, that you, is, is, you know, that you just like to give, give a shout out to? Uh, sure. Um, so uh, one that's uh, one that was interesting recently was uh, Enzai. Uh, they are doing something I think we'll see a lot more of, uh, which is uh, tech to support um, AI engineers uh, who are developing AI products uh, to make sure that they comply with legislation and regulations that are coming in. Uh, so making sure that they're documenting uh, their, uh, their their product and their, their AI uh, from the moment they start talking about, oh, let's create some AI, um, that they're actually starting to document things in a, in a, in a formal way. It's, it's created by one of the co-founders uh, was a lawyer um, and uh, kind of identified this problem while um, he was uh, dealing with uh, GDPR. Um, he was advising people on GDPR, so privacy and data protection. And uh, so he, he thought, well, uh, you know, look, let's look at AI. And uh, as we see governments starting to introduce this um, uh, this new legislation, the need for support for the very especially early stage companies, you don't want a massive kind of imposition on them and their innovation uh, in terms of, but you still want to make sure they comply with the law. So ways of kind of compliance in a box uh, kind of approaches i think uh, are going to are going to be a, a big important uh, thing in, in coming years i'm actually talking to another one um, soon actually uh, i had this conversation with somebody recently and they said oh you should speak to this startup so uh, uh, there are companies addressing this around there but uh, but yeah um, they they're a, a good team they're uh, they're based in belfast did you ever um, see a tool, I think it was called Music Map, really early on that, say, took, like, if you were The Clash, it showed you all of the bands that were linked to The Clash. It was around ages ago. It was, like, 20 oh, okay. years ago. And I was, I'm, as you're talking, I'm imagining, particularly, now, you know, to get that clear understanding of that you're focused on deep tech and things like that aren't just, you know, e-commerce marketplaces, it's really useful to understand. But I'm imagining, as you're describing that startup, that it's connect, then connected to, for other really interesting people there's like there's the opportunity mm. to create that map 
you know so you could so you can start to see because everybody in this the beauty of like this approach is when it gets this kind of level of subtlety or sophistication is that the person that you're talking to knows three other really interesting people who are in similar fields so you could kind of have this dynamic fluid map that people you know that in addition so newsletter, and I remember seeing it around bands um, 20 years ago. It probably doesn't, almost certainly doesn't exist now, but you would click on the clash and it would show you, you know, whatever the, the, from their dub influence to, you know, <laughs> to, to the new wave influence. But they would have all the bands, obviously. And then you click on one of those bands and it would kind of recalibrate itself. Maybe yeah. maybe there's the same thing. I, I've, I find um, uh, who sampled is really good in that respect. Ah. It, it, it's, it's around samples. It, it, I remember writing about that actually when I was at the Next Web years ago, yeah. writing about it when it launched, but it's still there. It's a fantastic resource. Uh, it's similar to what you mentioned there. Um, let's say, I don't know, um, uh, who sampled, you mentioned the clash there. Uh, um, uh, MIA sampled um, yeah, Clash, um, yeah. uh, and uh, so you 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 uh, look at um, uh, her track, uh, and then you'd see that that was um, uh, Straight to Hell by the Clash, and then yeah, you, you, yeah. then you could see all the other all the other tracks that have been sampled uh, by the Clash, etc. And uh, just a great way of exploring music. Exactly. But I th- yeah, but I think in terms of startups, it's quite difficult because a lot of um, I suppose in terms of you could say this person founded this startup and they also founded this startup or they worked here and then they worked there. You know, Jack Dorsey founded Twitter, but he was part of Audio when he did it. And then now he, he launched Square, which became Block. And I suppose there were ways you could do it. But a lot of the time, I think a lot of these relationships are, are very... They, they, they come and go. And uh, you, yeah. you'd, have to, you'd have to map them in quite a... a, a you'd have to take quite an editorial view over it rather than a factual view of it. And uh, I'm not sure uh, it'd be, it'd be a massive job, wouldn't it? But uh, it, it, yeah, it'd be, be, inter- be interesting to look at. It, it would yeah. be interesting to look at. Oh, well, on that note, on that as a final thing, just your API. So people, ideas, books, podcasts that you're tuned into that you think kind of illustrate this thinking or your thinking would be, and then we'll put that in the, in, in the show notes, obviously with links pieces. Now, if it's okay, I'd love to put the, um, the VC podcast in there as well. Uh, um, and yeah, anything else that you can think of? Okay. Uh, yeah. Uh, well, you, you told me we were going to be doing this and uh, I'm, uh, I'm one of these people who, you know what I do? I, I, I browse Twitter and I click off and read things. And uh, then I, uh, I, I find myself uh, saying, I don't really have an anchor point. It's not like I, I sit down, and, I, I don't sit down and read many books and uh, uh, which, which is a problem. But before the pandemic, I, I gave myself a new year's resolution for 2020 that I would read more books. I bought a, a, a Kindle. I thought, yeah, I'm going to read loads books now and then i just found myself uh, and i was going to do it on trains and planes and things and then i suddenly stopped traveling because of the pandemic and then never got back in the habit so uh, uh, so normally if, if i'd have kept up with that i'd have about 10 different books i thought oh, you should read that that and that um but um I, I do think that um one of the most important um newsletters i read um for understanding the world beyond and this is kind of beyond my realm but um uh, one of the other things i do um in my weird career is i um edit a newsletter called geek out with a guy called matt navarro which is all about social media and um so i find myself reading a lot about social media and the important thing about social media is now it's how the world is shaped and it's how the world uh it's it it's more than just, oh, just here's, you know, here's your friends on a 
night out it really does help define the way the world the conversations we have about the world and influence in the world you don't really have to look at elon musk's um bid to acquire Twitter to see uh, how that works. Uh, so I find that um, there's a really interesting newsletter called Platformer uh, by a guy called Casey Newton. Um, uh, it's, it's a paid newsletter, but it really does add value um, to my understanding. Uh, he's got really sharp analysis um, and uh, works scoops into there because he's got a really good network and he's, he's, he's always adding you know either a, either a big scoop or he'll just add little insights from uh, conversations he's had you know from inside meta or wherever and uh, i think just for understanding the world even if social media isn't your professional sphere uh, I, I think just for understanding the way the world works so having a really good understanding of that is great uh, in a similar mold um it's been around for years but it's still consistently brilliant um tech dirt uh which uh, is a a, a site um, which uh, looks at uh, kind of regulation around tech and the law around tech and uh, just has, has some of the smartest takes uh, really accessible takes it's quite us centric although they do have some european uk uh, coverage as well but again to kind of understand the way the world is going and the way that tech is uh, interfacing and uh, causing friction uh, with uh, with with society and politics uh, well worth exploring awesome okay that's that's those are great um well thank you so much for taking the time to be on the detective coded podcast um i i I, uh, I definitely think you know what you're doing absolutely falls within within what we're, what we're talking about and um yeah and uh, it, it's been really really interesting to kind of catch you at the beginning of this journey maybe we <laughs> can circle back in six months and see i'm sure you have a lot of lot of understanding uh, as to as to what creates impact what creates traction what creates deal flow obviously that's when it gets really exciting when you know actually when i write about this this happens and the community does this so uh, but to catch you right at the beginning is great um and yeah thank you thank you for your time and um it's been a bit it's been really great to, to have this conversation with you yeah it's been great to speak with you thanks a lot